When did Jeremy Macklin become Julio Jones? This happened all of a sudden. This happened over the course of a week. For years, Jeremy Macklin was Jeremy Macklin. One of the league's better flankers, an ultra-reliable possession receiver, a guy that can move the chains, a guy that can make plays over the middle of the field. Jeremy Macklin! We know who Jeremy Macklin is! There's no secret about who Jeremy Macklin is. He's a well-respected wide receiver that, before this season, was actually underappreciated. That's why I own Jeremy Macklin in almost every Dynasty League, because as soon as he signed with Kansas City, oh no! He's going to Kansas City. Kansas City never throws touchdowns to wide receivers. Remember that analysis from last year? Alex Smith doesn't know how to throw touchdowns to wide receivers because in a random anomaly stat of the 2014 season, Alex Smith didn't have a touchdown pass to a wide receiver. And because of that one stat in that one season, the analysis was Alex Smith lacks the ability to throw the ball to wide receivers for touchdowns. <laughs> idiotic analysis so because of that jeremy macklin going to the worst possible team he could go to the place that can't throw touchdowns to wide receivers oh my who wants that ew a top 10 fantasy wide receiver in his prime who wants that because that's what Jeremy Macklin was. In 2014, Jeremy Macklin was a top 10 fantasy wide receiver. And no one wanted to draft him last year. He was available at extreme discounts across all Dynasty Leagues. That's why I own him everywhere. Because acquiring Jeremy Macklin was just the rational thing to do. So if anything, over the course of the years, either you understood who Jeremy Macklin was instinctually, intuitively, you understood, here's Jeremy Macklin, here's his ability level, here's what he can give me in fantasy, here's what he can give the Kansas City Chiefs. It's straightforward. One of the easier players to analyze, Jeremy Macklin. And those of us that viewed Jeremy Macklin rationally knew he was a great value this offseason and acquired him everywhere we could. And there was another group of people, the irrational ones, that somehow, someway got run over by this narrative that Alex Smith can't throw touchdowns to wide receivers. Just an idiotic premise. So those people actually underrated Jeremy Macklin. Jeremy Macklin was never overrated. I think in his entire career, up until this week, Jeremy Macklin was never overrated. He was either rated properly by people like me, or he was underrated by the people that assumed he would score zero touchdowns in 2015 because Alex Smith doesn't know how to throw touchdown passes to wide receivers. We really should have a whole show dedicated to the idiotic analysis that we heard in 2015 because there was a lot of it. We were inundated. It was content fodder for this show week after week after week after week. But now the pendulum has swung. Oh, yes, the pendulum has swung to the complete other side. Now Jeremy Macklin is Julio Jones. Now the analysis is as follows. I'm hearing that the Chiefs, the Chiefs are going to run Sharkandrick West and Spencer Ware a lot more this week because Julio Macklin is out. No, they won't. They're going to run Sharkandrick West and Spencer Ware the same number of carries they would have if Jeremy Macklin was healthy. Speculating that the Chiefs are going to lean on the run and skew their play calling to the run, giving 
Weston Ware significantly more touches because Jeremy Macklin will probably be out with a high ankle sprain. That is just baseless, wrong-headed analysis. It assumes that Jeremy Macklin is this game-changing talent. He's not. I told you what he is at the beginning of the show. He is one of the best flankers in the league. He is good in all phases, but he's not great in all phases. He's not a player that you can lean on to win a game for you. He's a player that can get you a first down when you need it. He's a player that won't drop passes. He's reliable. He's productive, but he's not an elite playmaker. He's not the caliber playmaker that you scheme for as a defense. You just don't have to create a separate defensive scheme to stop Jeremy Macklin. But it's weird. It's like an artist whose work appreciates only after death. Everyone runs out and tries to acquire that artist's paintings only after he dies. The artist paradox. Do all this great work and you can't benefit from it until you're dead. It's only worth something once you die. Imagine if that were the case with other professions. The economy would grind to a halt. Imagine. The sculptor, the painter, that's the only profession in our society where you don't make anything from your work until you're dead. If we applied that rule to the other professions in society, we would have no economy. Think about that. Weird profession. The product of their labor is valued based on whether they're alive or not. But that's what we're seeing now. Only in death, only on the IR, only on the injury report is Jeremy Macklin appreciated. Now he's an elite game changer. Only after he's been injured. Before, he was just Jeremy Macklin. A very good, very reliable receiver. But not a special talent. But now, the analysis I'm hearing about Jeremy Macklin and the lack of Jeremy Macklin and how that's going to change Kansas City's whole approach, that perception is only reserved for top 10 elite athletic game-changing wide receivers. It's just bizarre to me. Because again, Jeremy Macklin isn't the caliber playmaker that you build an offense around, and he's not the type of playmaker that the defense needs to scheme against. Assuming Jeremy Macklin is out this week, we can carry on with our normal projections for Alex Smith and Sharkandrick West and Spencer Ware and Travis Kelsey. The only two players that will receive a projection bump this week are the two wide receivers that will be starting, Albert Wilson and Chris Conley. These are two players I like. I was the ultimate contrarian this offseason because I acquired Jeremy Macklin, Albert Wilson, and Chris Conley on a team that had no ability to throw touchdown passes to wide receivers. So it was said. And then all of a sudden, Albert Wilson scoring touchdowns, and Jeremy Macklin is scoring touchdowns, and Chris Conley scoring touchdowns. And I'm like, wait a second! Alex Smith knows how to throw a touchdown pass? What? You lied to me, fantasy analysts! You all lied to me! Damn you! No, I wasn't like that because I owned them all, and I was sitting back going, remember that analysis? Alex Smith can't throw touchdown passes to wide receivers. I just want to keep coming back to this because it's just so ludicrous. And yet, that was consensus analysis of Alex Smith and, ew, Chiefs wide receivers, ew, this offseason. But this is where we are now. We went from, ew, Chiefs wide receiver, ew, to Jeremy Macklin getting hurt and it changing everything. Throw out the entire playbook. Jeremy Macklin's been hurt. Like, what? Especially because Jeremy Macklin's replacement is Chris Conley. 
Chris Conley is the most athletic wide receiver to enter the NFL since Julio Jones. If you go to playerprofiler.com and you look up Chris Conley, just wear goggles, wear some sort of protective eyewear because you might go blind. You might go blind looking at these workout metrics. At 6'2", 213, Chris Conley ran a 4.3540, which is a 120.6, 96th percentile height adjusted speed score. Oh, by the way, his 146.0 burst score is the best in the playerprofiler.com database. And we will be rolling out very soon the ability to analyze all the data on Player Profiler across all positions and all players. So you will be able to say, show me all wide receiver burst scores and see that on a list and then download it to Excel. That's a feature that's coming out. We will charge $30 for that feature. Our data analysis tool is coming soon. Look out for that as a way to support the show, as a way to support Player Profiler, to help you write articles, to help you make decisions for your Dynasty League in particular at this time of year. It is going to be an invaluable tool and it will be well worth $30 if for no other reason than to support this show, which you are have been and are consuming for free. And we are on episode number 200 right now. This is episode 200. Yeah, we did it, episode 200. It's a big deal. Most podcasts don't get to episode 200, so I feel good about that. Episode 100 was okay. I feel better about episode 200. Episode 200, it's a real accomplishment. We made it. On to 300. Yeah, I like Chris Conley because with Chris Conley, not only is he this athletic monster, but he can play football. We know he can play football because just in the one game he started this year, in that one game that Jeremy Macklin missed, Chris Conley replaced him in the lineup at flanker, received seven targets, caught six of them for 63 yards and a touchdown, posting 18.3 fantasy points. So in his one game as a starter, his rookie year, Chris Conley posted a WR2 week. That is incredibly encouraging for the future of Chris Conley in the NFL and in fantasy football. So I'm happy to own him in every dynasty league. And if there is one I don't happen to own him, I am targeting him. I need to target him now because as a starter in the playoffs, all eyes will be watching him this weekend, and if he breaks out, it won't go unnoticed. That's a problem. That's why I'm trying to get Chris Conley now before he scores a touchdown against the Patriots, and then forget it. Forget it, man. But back to Jeremy Macklin. I mean, in a vacuum, just to reiterate, Jeremy Macklin is not the kind of explosive playmaker that you build a game plan around, nor is he the type of explosive playmaker that defenses need to game plan to stop. But yet that's how he's being viewed now. He's been in the league for five years, and he's never been thought of as a game-changing explosive playmaker until he got hurt. Now, Chris Conley, he could potentially be the explosive playmaker that you do need to game plan to stop, that you do build an offense around. And the idea that the Chiefs could have two of these players, Travis Kelsey at the tight end position and Chris Conley at the wide receiver position, two of the elite talents at their respective positions, that's an exciting proposition for the Chiefs now and in the future. So not only is Jeremy Macklin in a vacuum, not someone that I think will influence the flow of the offense this Sunday, whether he's in the game or not. But because he's being replaced by a talent like Chris Conley, of that level of explosiveness, the best burst score in the playerprofiler.com database, because he's being replaced by that guy, I think 
the loss of Jeremy Macklin is particularly negligible to the output of the other skill guys. That's my point. But because other analysts don't fully comprehend how good Chris Conley is because they don't use playerprofiler.com, they're sitting here spewing this anecdotal gibberish. Well, without Jeremy Macklin, the Chiefs are going to change their game plan and they're going to become a much more run-oriented offense. Wrong. Speaking of offenses, last night, college football championship game, Alabama wins. And if you were listening to the broadcast anyway, you would think that the reason Alabama won was because Lane Kiffin's offense. That's right. Lane Kiffin's offense was the reason. I was watching the game and listening to the broadcast. I like Kirk Herbstreet. I like some broadcasters. I like Chris Collinsworth. So I was happy to listen to the broadcast. And what I heard was almost every time there was a big explosive play by Alabama, terrific play call by Lane Kiffin. The credit immediately defaulted to Lane Kiffin. I mean, that's your first thought, really? Hand the credit to Lane Kiffin, the guy on the sideline, the guy that's not on the field of play? I mean, how did this happen? How did this become the way sports is analyzed? That we don't even say the name of the player who's scoring. Don't even say O.J. Howard's name. The first inclination, the first thought, the neuron that fires first is coach, coach. Talk about the coach. Credit the coach. Great play call. Weird. O.J. Howard ran a great route. O.J. Howard made an athletic catch. O.J. Howard broke a tackle and accelerated away from the last defender and scored the touchdown. Great job. Lane Kiffin. What? What? But I don't put all the blame on Kirk Herbstreet because most sportscasters are on a tightrope and they're actually less informed than you think they are. They get fed narratives from the coaches before the game and they get fed these super specific, uninteresting stats like Alabama has never trailed at halftime in a championship game when the moon was in its crescent phase. They get fed that into their earpiece. They are essentially puppets like Anchorman. That's what they are. Anchorman parodied this entire profession of broadcaster, sportscaster. That's simply the face being fed information behind the scenes. But also, things are happening very quickly. There's a lot of moving parts. They have to they have to go to commercial. You can't just like I do sit back for 45 minutes in front of a microphone on Roto Underworld Radio. Oh, by the way, contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter or email us rotounderworld at gmail.com. They don't have that luxury. So that's why I don't get too upset about the sportscasters just glossing over the players on the field and just defaulting to the coach. Like Kirk Herbstreet doesn't have the time or the access to the information in real time, nor even the inclination to go through the spectrum of players that made a successful play succeed. So he always will fall back on that coach crutch. Oh, that was a great play call by Lane Kiffin. Let's go to commercial. That crutch is always available. And now this time of year, this is when sports analysts lack content. We had four uninteresting playoff games last weekend. Instead, what do we talk about? We talk about NFL head coach hot stove. Yes, that's right. It fills the content throughout the week. We need something to talk about on a Tuesday. What are you going to talk about? The Dolphins are hiring Adam Gase. Yes. Adam Gase is the new savior. Why? Why is he the new savior? Because he improved Jay Cutler. Oh, look what he did with Jay Cutler. What did Adam Gase do exactly with Jay Cutler? Jay Cutler had 
one game with more than 20 fantasy points this year. So I don't really understand why Adam Gase is getting credited with turning around Jay Cutler. I didn't see a turnaround. I saw mediocrity with Jay Cutler. Am I missing something? I saw 16 fantasy points per game, number 24 in the league. What am I missing? Look what he did with Jay Cutler. Oh, wow. Yeah. What? What what exactly did he do with Jay Cutler? How did he turn Jay Cutler around? How did he get the most out of Jay Cutler? Oh, the passer rating. Jay Cutler had the highest passer rating of his career under Adam Gase. Aha! That's it! Something to talk about. Yes, Jay Cutler had a 92.3 passer rating. The best passer rating of his career finished 16th in the NFL this season. How embarrassing is that? You're a 32-year-old quarterback, and your best career passer rating only reached number 16 in the league. The best passer rating of your career was exactly league average. That's embarrassing. That's just embarrassing as a professional. After being in the league 10 years, you have to feel embarrassed by that if you're Jay Cutler. And by the way, passer rating? Since when does any fantasy analyst talk about passer rating? Since when? When is passer rating ever talked about? And except this case with Adam Gase. Well, I'll tell you when passer rating is useful. When you're bathing in a pool of confirmation bias and you need to cherry pick one stat to support your argument, that's when you'll search the profile and find this one stat to prove that Adam Gase is a good coach. (laughs) Meanwhile, Jay Cutler's other stats, in particular on playerprofile.com, his production premium, situation agnostic efficiency metric, a metric that doesn't overweight completion percentage like passer rating. Passer rating is a flawed metric because quarterbacks that emphasize short passes, a lower yards per attempt, but a higher completion percentage, those quarterbacks always have better passer ratings than other quarterbacks that can push the ball down the field. So in that way, we all know passer rating is a relatively flawed metric. That's why we have metrics like production premium. Jay Cutler's production premium on playerprofile.com Negative 6.0, number 23 in the league. That's why we have production premium, to help illuminate the true intrinsic quality of a player's performance. So as it turns out, Adam Gase didn't help Jay Cutler at all when you look at production premium. Jay Cutler's production premium in 2014 was plus 2.5. That was number 15 in the league. And it makes sense when Jay Cutler has... Alshon Jeffrey for a full season and a half a season of Brandon Marshall like he did the year prior, he's going to have a better production premium. Production premium is situation agnostic. It's not independent of your supporting cast. So that made sense. But that that's not the narrative. No, no, no. He had a, his passer rating was lower in 2014. So we're only looking at passer rating here. I mean, get with the program, Matt Kelly. We're trying to cherry pick the one stat that shows that Adam Gase helped Jay Cutler in 2015. Get with the program here. This is confirmation bias. Don't you know what we're doing here? Don't you know how to do the confirmation bias game? We're trying to build narratives. We need something to talk about during Coach Talk Week. Coach Talk Week, the worst week on the calendar for me. I hate Coach Talk Week. It is the worst. I wish I could just go to sleep for a week during Coach Talk Week. Just wake up. (gasps) I'm so well rested and I'm so not agitated. 
If I were awake during Coach Talk Week, I would be so agitated. Because right now, I'm so agitated. I've got Lane Kiffin over here, the reason why Alabama won the championship. And I have Adam Gase over here, the reason why Jay Cutler had a great season in 2015. Even though Jay Cutler didn't have a good season in 2015 at all! It wasn't good at all! I even started him in some weeks in daily and he didn't do anything! What are you talking about? Good season. Turned around Jay Cutler. Got through to Jay Cutler. Got the most out of Jay Cutler. Get out of here! What are you talking about? You sound ridiculous! You know how foolish you sound saying these things! How uninformed you sound! It's maddening! Maddening. Because this is all I see. This is all I get to read. I don't get to read any real analysis. This is everybody saying this. I'm talking about this today because this is consensus. This is the echo chamber where they're just copy and pasting the same analysis and regurgitating what the other guy said until it becomes this universal truth that Adam Gase is the Dolphins savior. He's the answer. He's the best possible coach for that team. And I'm sitting back going, how the hell do you know that? Based on what information? How do you measure this? You're just saying what the other guy said. You're just using one stat. This is absurd. This whole exercise is absurd. It's coach talk nonsense. Just listen to yourselves. You don't know what you're talking about. And yet you talk about it as if you are the leading expert in the quality of coaching. And it's just maddening. It is. It's, it's, it, it, it makes my head pulsate. My cranium pulsates as if... My skull is literally going to explode. I'm not talking about this figuratively. Oh, my head just exploded. You say, you hear this all the time. Figuratively. But no, really, really, actually, my head feels like it's going to explode when I hear this. Nonsense. Crediting the coaches. For nothing! For making his production premium measurably worse. <laughs> what? Cutler was careful this year. We can agree. If Cutler made one change, it was that he became a more careful passer, right? That was the improvement. But you know who's even more careful than Cutler? Alex Smith. Jay Cutler was outproduced by every measure by Alex Smith this season. So where is the proof that Adam Gase is better than Alex Smith's offensive coordinator, Doug Peterson? There is none. That's my whole point. I'll give you until the end of time, and you will find no proof. Zero. Zero. None. Zilch. Nil. That Adam Gase is any better than Doug Peterson. But it is spoken as a fact, a self-evident reality, that Adam Gase is definitively better than Doug Peterson. Why? No answer. There's no evidence to support that. I can't measure how much better or worse Adam Gase is than Doug Peterson, and neither can you. Yet, Gase got the most out of Jay Cutler. I mean, what if Jay Cutler is both more efficient and more prolific in 2016 than he was in 2015? Does that automatically render Adam Gase a bum? Because this is how the sports industrial complex does the measurements. This is how the sausage is made. There are no measurements. The emperor has no clothes. Someone just said it once, and then it's been repeated ever since, and that's it. It's like a tall tale. It's a myth that has been passed down through the generations. That's all it is.
That's what sports analysis is. Most of it is. It's simple. You look at a player's stats, like Jay Cutler. You look specifically at passer rating, and then you make an inference that assumes that the frumpy guy with thinning hair on the sideline talking into a headset who's not on the field of play had a greater influence in the outcome of the games that Jay Cutler was playing than the actual athletes doing all the work and all of the performing on the field. Jay Cutler was a revolution this year, apparently. And Adam Gase is a great offensive mind. Adam Gase has a scheme advantage that other coaches just don't possess. He must, for this perception to be true, necessarily Adam Gase must have a schematic advantage. It's amazing. And even if Cutler did have a better season, which I don't believe he did, but even if Cutler did improve this season, the most likely answer, according to Occam's Razor, would be that either Jay Cutler himself matured and improved and became a more conservative quarterback, thus improving his passer rating, or he was helped by randomness and some interceptions that should have been interceptions weren't interceptions. Those are more likely, those theories have less moving parts than this idea that the guy on the sideline orchestrating the offense was the reason why. But it bears repeating, coaches don't play. Coaches don't play the game. Yet they are talked about as if they are that little mini alien from Men in Black who's pulling the levers inside the player's brain, making a touchdown throw between two defenders. I just think it's so much easier for us, the fan, the fantasy gamer sitting on his couch looking at his iPad, it's so much easier for us if we think of it like a first-person video game or a chess match where the players are the inanimate objects. It's absurd, but it's easier for us to relate because it's much harder to relate to the athletes because what they're doing is so far removed from our reality. So therefore, we relate to the coaches whose reality is closer to ours. It's interesting, look at the Dolphins. You look at the specific coaches they've hired recently. It's funny. They've been oscillating between tough guys and eggheads. Tony Sperano, Joe Philbin, Dan Campbell, Adam Gase. Tough guy archetype, nerdy archetype. Tough guy archetype, nerdy archetype. And still, we can relate to all of those guys better than we can relate to the players. But with the Joe Philbins and the Adam Gases, the nerdy eggheads, we can relate to them even more than we can relate to the tough guys. And so we impose this idea that those guys that look more like us, that they're the geniuses because we want to think that we're smart. And we're not. We're probably not. But yes, Adam Gase's reality is much closer to ours. He's a regular guy with thinning hair who wears khakis and a polo shirt to work. He's you. You can relate to that. You know who you can't relate to? Matt Forte, Jeremy Langford, Martellus Bennett, Zach Miller, Eddie Royal. I'm not even going to talk about Alshon Jeffrey because of course you can't relate to Alshon Jeffrey. He's a size, speed, amazing, elite freak receiver. But just Forte, Langford, Bennett, Miller, and Royal, that represents one of the best short pass receiving cores in the league. If you were going to focus on the short passing game with Alshon Jeffrey out, those would be the receivers you would want to prop up your passer rating. And that's exactly what Jay Cutler had. And that's exactly what happened to Jay Cutler's passer rating. So the answer to why did Jay Cutler's passer rating reach levels it had never reached before were as follows. Jay Cutler's maturing. Jay Cutler was forced because of personnel to focus on the short passing game. Jay Cutler's supporting cast was particularly good and successful in the short passing game because of their skill sets. 
and on top of all that, randomness. All of those reasons are ahead of, more likely than, Adam Gase being the genius at the controls, being the reason for the success. It's unbelievable. What about Zach Miller? He was a revelation this year. But you see, you didn't know who Zach Miller was before this season. You probably got him confused with the Zach Miller tight end on Seattle. So because you didn't know his name before the season, you didn't know who he was, you immediately assume that he can't be very good and that his success must be attributed to the coach, not his own ability. Zach Miller must be an Adam Gase creation. Never mind that Zach Miller had an 87-yard touchdown, the longest by a tight end this season. That he had a 10-yard TD where he went up and high-pointed the ball in the back of the end zone, a touchdown that maybe 10% of tight ends could have converted. And then he made another one-handed touchdown catch that made everyone's jaw drop who saw it. He displays exceptional athleticism. And if you go to Zach Miller's profile on playerprofile.com, you'll see a guy with an 86th percentile spark score, 80th percentile or above across all workout metrics, because that's who Zach Miller is, an exceptional athlete, just like Gary Barnage. Those two had similar situations and similar fantasy output this season as starters. They were both athletic, super late breakout tight ends. But Gary Barnage was responsible for Gary Barnage's ascension, and yet Adam Gase was responsible for Zach Miller's. Why is that? Well, the reason is is because you don't know the name of the offensive coordinator in Cleveland, but you do know Adam Gase's name. That's the only reason. It's just ignorance. All of this is driven by ignorance. In the moment, Kirk Herbstreet can't fully understand why that touchdown happened. There were so many moving parts and performances by 22 players on the field, so he just defaults to the coach, praises the coach, and goes to commercial. You can't know who all the offensive coordinators are in the league, so when you see Gary Barnage, you say, okay, Gary Barnage, he must be pretty good, because you don't know that the name of the offensive coordinator in Cleveland is John DeFilippo. But the meatheads that are talking about sports on television, they know who Adam Gase is, so then you know who Adam Gase is, and then so it's easy to attribute the success of Bears players to Adam Gase. Do you realize how misguided and rude this sounds to credit Zach Miller's breakout to Adam Gase? There's a sort of Dr. Frankenstein dehumanizing quality to this analysis. We want to conceptualize these performances and view them as these inanimate chess pieces. That's how we want to view the players. Because we can't relate to the mastery of their craft. And we secretly resent them. It's the same with rock stars. We want so badly to give credit to the producer. Oh, Kanye West produced it. That's where the genius lies. We did the same thing with the Beatles. Heaped credit on George Martin. George Martin, get out of here. We do this over and over again. Only when it's someone with a truly unique, truly transcendent quality that no one can dispute. Someone like Prince, someone like David Bowie, rest in peace. Those would be the icons in music that come to mind. In sports, I can think Barry Sanders, Brett Favre, players that transcended their coach. You never hear about Barry Sanders' coach or Brett Favre's coach being the reason for the success. In certain situations, we are in the presence of musical genius and athletic genius. And only in those situations do we credit the player, or the rock star, or the hip-hop star. Otherwise, George Martin must be the reason.